The following podcast is brought to you by the Station of the Cross. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved. Good morning. It's good to be with you, and happy July 4th. Blessed July 4th to you. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, many, many of you could spend the day off from work with your family and children. And of course, I don't know if you're a waiter or a waitress, if you have to go to work in a restaurant. Um, oh, I wish everything would close for holidays so families could be together. That would really be that would be so wonderful. You know what we did? We recorded today's program for you um, so that the folks at Station of the Cross uh, could take the day off with their family. We recorded today's program yesterday afternoon. It's absolutely new. It's absolutely fresh. And I'm going to continue from where I was uh, yesterday morning. Um, and um, I'm also going to take the text and the emails we had not yet gotten to, so everything will be new and fresh, except you won't be able to call in today um, because this is pre-recorded. but it's a new program, and it's for July 4th, and it's for you, and I'm thrilled to be with you. Um, we've been going through this very wonderful paper called The Declaration of the Truths Relating to Some of the Most Common Errors in the Life of the Church of Our Time. I propose that this is not simply incidental reading for anybody. I think that everyone should read this. If you're in a family, read it. Look it up online. If you're in a family, if you're in a Bible study, if you're in any other study for the faith, I think parishes should get together and have a group and should read and talk through this because these points, 40 of them, are very succinct, very short. They're not long teaching. They're not long with explanations. I'm giving a little explanation, but that's also short as we go along. But this will bring unconfusion. This will reverse the confusion in our church today that is um, being added to by the day. And I, I strongly recommend it. And as I've said each day, I'm going to mispronounce those four uh, dear names again of our beautiful men of God, the cardinals and bishops of the church who have put this together for us, beginning with Cardinal Raymond Leo Burke, patron of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. Every day I read their names and every day I know I mispronounce them. Cardinal Giannis Pujat, Archbishop Emeritus of Riga, Tomasz Peta, Archbishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Astana, Jan Power Lengel, uh, Lenga, uh, Archbishop Bishop Emeritus of Caraganda. Oh, forgive me for however I'm pronouncing these names. Bishop Athanasius Snyder, who we know and love. Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Astana or Astana. It's in Kakistan, Far East Russia. And um, you may know uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder because we have sent out many videos of him 
many talks of him. We've had him on our, our homepage, on our website. Um, he's just an outstanding bishop who has been um, uh, leading the sheep all over the world out of confusion by the clear truths of the Catholic faith. We are in, on point nine of this paper today, and it reads this. The religion born of faith in Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, and the only Savior of humankind, is the only religion positively willed by God. Now, those of you who may have the luxury or ability to follow the news and to have heard the statements that God wills all religions, uh, that's absolutely false. This corrects that. The religion born of faith in Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, and the only Savior of humankind is the only religion positively willed by God. Same in the Old Testament, beloved. The religion that stemmed from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the religion and the only religion positively willed by God, and that is the religion that brought the Savior into the world and founded the Catholic Church, which is the only faith willed by God. The paper goes on to say, the opinion is therefore wrong that says that just as God positively wills the diversity of the male and female sexes and the diversity of nations, so in the same way he also wills the diversity of religions. He does not. There's only one true God, beloved, and only one true worship of that God. Number 10, our Christian religion effectively establishes with God an authentic and living relationship which the other religions do not succeed in doing, even though they have, as it were, their arms stretched out towards heaven. Okay, I'll repeat that. And that's a quote from uh, Pope Paul VI from his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Nunciandi. Um, I'll repeat that. Our Christian religion effectively establishes with God an authentic and living relationship with the, uh, which the other religions do not succeed in doing, even though they have, as it were, their arms stretched out towards heaven. Um, again, beloved, this is the teaching of the one holy apostolic and Catholic Church, Catholic and apostolic church. This is nobody's opinion. This is not the line of thinking of a certain uh, trad a group of traditionalists or conservatives. This is the teaching of the God who exists, the only God who exists through the church that he established. Point 11, the gift of free will, which God the creator endowed, excuse me, the gift of free will with which God the creator endowed the human person, grants man the natural right to choose only the good and the true. Beloved, this is so important. No human person has, therefore, a natural right to offend God in choosing the moral evil of sin, the religious error. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still sneezing from yesterday. No human person has, therefore, a natural right to offend God in choosing the moral evil of sin, the religious error of idolatry, blasphemy, 
or a false religion. You see, God gave mankind, he gave man free will. He gave him free will, not to do what he wants, but to do what is right. We are free to love and worship and obey God. We are free for nothing else. We may turn from God and do what we want, but that's not a right we are given by God. The only right we are given by God is to love and serve, worship and obey him. That's the only right we have as his creatures. He has given us the ability to turn from him as Adam and Eve did, but it's not a right. It's not a right we have. God has made male and female, and we have no right to to do anything about that. It's not a right. You say, well, we're free to do what we are. We are. We're free to sin. We're free to turn from God. But it's not a right given by God. The next section is called the law of God. Number 12. A justified person has the sufficient strength with God's grace to carry out the objective demands of divine law, since all of the commandments of God are possible for the justified. God's grace, when it justifies the sinner, does of its nature produce conversion from all serious sin. Now, that's the Council of Trent. All these statements are from popes and councils and scripture and the teaching of the Catholic Church through 2,000 years. I'll reread that. A justified person, that is a person who has been forgiven, who has been made, uh, brought into relationship with God uh, by his grace, justified, who has been made right with God, has the sufficient strength with God's grace to carry out the objective demands of the divine law. I'll give you an example of that. God made Israel their vocation from the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, um, to be a light to the Gentiles, the nations. Gentile and nations are synonymous terms. To be a light to the Gentiles, to be a witness to the Gentiles. He set them apart as a people, a peculiar people in the midst of a pagan world to um, uh, eat certain foods, to dress a certain way, to have certain laws, uh, to have a certain hierarchy that they would follow, a liturgy. Everything they did and did not do was given to them by divine law, that they would keep it, and by keeping it, be a light to the witness, a light to the nations around them of the true God. Now, they failed over and over and over and over again because the law of Moses, they could obey the law, but they didn't have the power. They didn't have the Holy Spirit as we do. They didn't have the power to carry that out. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, which was their Jewish holiday, Shavuot, um, the first fruits in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit came upon them and dwelt within them and changed them, at least the 3,000 plus that were there and the apostles, and then spread throughout the rest of the world. But in Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 8, God said, Now, now I want you to go into all the world and be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, the other parts, and the the utter uh, parts of the world, the ends of the earth. 
I'm not reading it, so I'm messing things up a little bit by trying to remember it. Um, but they had the power now. Their mission didn't change to be a light to the Gentiles. But now they had the power from on high to go and live what the law did not give them. It gave them the divine law, which is holy and righteous and good and does not change. But now the Holy Spirit at Pentecost gave them the power to live it, which the law could never do. Again, the law was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And the Jewish people on which God founded his church, Ecclesia, called out ones, now had the power to go into all the world and spread the gospel of Messiah, who's come to earth, God in human flesh, who alone brings salvation. And they did that. It, 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 people say, but they failed. Oh, no, they didn't fail. If they failed, you and I wouldn't be here today as Christians. They didn't fail. God founded the church on Israel. God established the, the priesthood, the Eucharist, the sacraments on the apostles. They didn't fail. God has always worked through a remnant, and it was the remnant of Israel on which God founded his church. And beloved, we who follow God today through his one holy Catholic and apostolic church and compromise nothing and withhold nothing of the truth and follow his divine laws um, and the scriptures and everything he's given, we today are becoming more and more so a faithful remnant that's taking the good news to the ends of the earth. And so this says again, a justified person has, we are justified only in Christ, only by his grace, not by being good enough, but because he paid the price of sin that we could not pay. And in him alone are we made righteous through his church. A justified person has the sufficient strength with God's grace to carry out the objective demands of the divine law, since all objective, that is, um, apart from what we think, apart from what we feel, apart from what we agree or disagree with. Who are we? We're the cup and, and we're, we're the clay. God is the potter. And his divine law is objective, which means it has nothing to do with our agreement or our belief. Truth is truth apart from us. It's objective, not subjective not based on our response. Since all the commandments of God are possible for the justified, God's grace, when it justifies the sinner, does of its nature produce conversion. We are changed by God's grace, changed to new creation, new creatures in Christ. Um, And we have a conversion from all serious sin. We no longer need to sin. We sin because we don't call on the grace of God. But we don't need to sin anymore. We're justified by his grace. And if we continue to live in sin, and it is our pattern, and we our lives don't change, we need to question whether we are truly saved from uh, hell and death and sin. We need to question that. Uh, Because read 1 John, the one who lives in a continual lifestyle of sin, does not have the grace of God in him. And not that we don't fall, but our lifestyle needs to change. Nobody converts to the Catholic Church and is truly Catholic and continues to live a life of sin, continues to live with a spouse that's not their wife or husband, truly, continues to commit adultery, uh, all of that. 
Number 13. The faithful are obliged to acknowledge and respect the specific moral precepts declared and taught by the church in the name of God, the Creator and Lord. And you say, some people say, look, I don't agree with everything the church teaches. Children don't agree with everything their parents teach or tell them. It's not for them to agree. It's for them to obey. It's not for us as children of God to agree. It's for us to obey. And if we say, I don't agree, and therefore I'm doing my own thing, you're free to do that. But it's sin, and in many cases, mortal sin, and you are not a Catholic. You cannot call yourself a Catholic, a Christian, if you do your own thing. Let me go on. Let me see where I left off here. Love of God and of one's neighbor cannot be separated from the observance of the commandments of the covenant renewed in the blood of Jesus Christ and in the gift of the Spirit. That's from John Paul II. According to the teaching of the same encyclical, that's Veritatis Splendor, according to the teaching of the same encyclical, the opinion of those is wrong who believe they can justify as morally good deliberate choices of kinds of behavior contrary to the commandments of the divine and natural law. Thus, these theories cannot claim to be grounded in the Catholic moral tradition. That's from uh, St. Pope John Paul II. Again, these wonderful prelates, these holy men of God, our shepherds, are putting together not their interpretation of the law, not their opinion of things. Uh, They are putting together what the church has taught and will continue to teach till the end of time. But they're putting it together for us to combat the heresies of our day. We just have maybe a very few minutes before our break, and after the break, I will, though you're not able to call in today, beloved, I will take the text and emails that we already have um, um, that came in yesterday and we weren't able to get them. So, number 14, all of the commandments of God are equally just and merciful. The opinion is, therefore, wrong that says that a person is able by obeying a divine prohibition, for example, the sixth commandment, not to commit adultery, to sin against God by this act of obedience or to morally harm himself or to sin against another. I'm going to reread this. All of the commandments of God are equally just and merciful. All of them, all of them are equally just and merciful. You know, in my Protestant years, we were taught that we can't keep the commandments because we're sinful so that Christ kept them for us so that we don't have to keep them. That is absolutely wrong. That's why I'm Catholic. The commandments were given by God, and they are our salvation. Do we keep them? Are we saved by keeping them? No. We're saved by trust in Christ and in his church because Christ kept them. But now it's not that we don't have to keep them. It's now in Christ through his church and the grace of the sacraments that we have the power to keep them, that we can keep them, and we must. Okay, I'm going to reread this. All of the commandments of God are equally just and merciful. 
The opinion is therefore wrong that says that a person is able, by obeying a divine prohibition, for example, um, by obeying the Sixth Commandment, do not commit adultery, a person um, is able to sin against God by this act of disobedience or to morally harm himself or to sin against another. Um, I don't understand this. Let me read this again. Um, The opinion is therefore, oh, there you go. The opinion is wrong that says a person is able by obeying a divine prohibition to sin against God by this act of obedience or to morally harm himself or to sin against another. Um, To sin against by this act of obedience, or to more, I'm sorry. I'm some. You're probably getting it, and I'm not. This is a little confusing to me. Um, The opinion is wrong that says that a person is able to. If I take out the in between, the in between, the opinion is therefore wrong that says a person is able by obeying a divine prohibition. If they obey a, pro- a divine prohibition, something we're prevented from, prohibited from doing, uh, such as the sixth commandment, that's right, there we go, uh, to sin against God by this act. We cannot obey something that God has forbidden. We're, we're forbidden. Um, we're not able to sin against God if we obey his prohibition. It's a little, at least to me, confusing the way it was put. But if if we obey what God tells us not to do, then we can't sin against God. But if God says you are not to commit adultery, then it's wrong to say that we are able uh, by obeying um, the commandment to not commit adultery to sin, a God, sin against God by an act of dif- disobedience. That's very confusing. Uh, we cannot o- be in God's grace by um, obeying a- what God has prohibited. So uh, we're not able... Uh, oh, this is... I'm sorry. I-, I have to work this one out. I have to work this one out. But uh, whoever says that they are obeying God's commandment um, and sins against God is not obeying the commandment. I'm sure this means something else, and, and I'm going to ask somebody tomorrow to call in and straighten me out. Let me see how far uh, away we are from the break. Um, I'm going to ask Paco at the Station of the Cross to ask me how far we are from the first break. Um, I don't know if I have time to get into a, another one right now. Um, okay. Um, yes, I'm going to go ahead and read. And I apologize for my confusion on number 14. You know, I'm reading this for the first time with you. So I promise you, um, when today's program is over, I am um, going to uh, check this one out, number 14, and ask my sisters here who are uh, maybe more clear-headed than me to straighten this one out so I could speak rightly. Um about this number 14. I know that it's right in what it says. I'm just a little twisted in in my understanding of its wording. So um, let me go on to number 15, 
which we may not be able to get through today. Let me try. No circumstance, um, and this is also from uh, Pope John Paul II's um, apostolic exhortation, um, a different one now, um, and the encyclical of Veritatis Splendor. No circumstance, no purpose, no law whatsoever can ever make licit an act which is intrinsically illicit since it is contrary to the law of God, which is written in every human heart, knowable by reason itself and proclaimed by the church. That's very, very clear. Okay, no circumstance, no purpose, no law whatsoever can ever make licit, that is valid, an act which is intrinsically illicit, wrong, sinful, invalid, since it is contrary to the law of God, which is written in every human heart, knowable by reason itself and proclaimed by the church. Now, beloved, there's the music for our break. Um, And uh, again, uh, dear ones, you won't be able to call in. But if you're listening today and you'd like to text or email, um, you can do that. You can text at... um, well, I don't even know that you can text, beloved, but you can email at mother at the station of the cross.com and um, uh, the engineers, the call screeners will pick it up uh, tomorrow when we're back on Friday. But we still need to take this break, beloved, and I'll be back very, very soon. God bless you. Don't go away. This is the Pope Paul VI Institute Minute with Dr. Tom Hilgers. Using the crate model system is a win-win situation for women and couples. The crate model system is versatile and personal because it can be tailor-made for each woman and each couple for any stage of the woman's reproductive health. Single, married, breastfeeding, premenopausal. The system is standardized and objective, so it is very precise in identifying true days of fertility and infertility and in monitoring and maintaining a woman's health. Users of the system also like the fact that it's medically safe, reliable, and inexpensive. It's an amazing system. To learn more about it, visit www.fertilitycare.org and listen to this station for more Pope Paul VI Institute Minutes. Introducing you to the Creighton Model Fertility Care System, I'm Dr. Tom Hilgers. For a complimentary gift and more information on the Pope Paul VI Institute, log on to www.popepaulvi6.com. This Divine Mercy Reflection is from the Diary of St. Maria Faustina. Once when St. Faustina questioned the authenticity of the message of God's mercy being revealed to her, she received an immediate and emphatic response. She reflects, Is not perhaps all this that I am saying about God's great mercy just a lie or an illusion? And I wanted to think about this for a while when I heard a strong and clear inner voice saying, Everything that you say about my goodness is true. Language has no adequate expression to extol my goodness. These words were so filled with power and so clear that I would give my life in declaring they came from God. Oh, if souls would only be willing to listen at least a little 
to the voice of conscience and the voice that is the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. This Divine Mercy Reflection is brought to you by the Station of the Cross. Welcome back, beloved. This is Mother Miriam live, and I am she, and I'm delighted, delighted to be with you. We are now going to take your calls and texts um, from um, uh, that you had sent in and that I didn't get to yesterday because you're not able to call or text in today. But you can email if you wish. If there's something that we're talking about, you can email. And when the Station of the Cross crew is back again tomorrow, uh, July 5th, they will get them and put them up for me. So you're welcome to do that at mother at thestationofthecross.com. And we're going to go to the emails uh, and or texts that we already had. We had a, a, a call from a woman named Cheryl who left a message offline. She said, want to ask about the church's stand on an adoration chapel. Her new pastor has removed theirs, saying it goes against the church's teaching. Well, I know nothing about adoration chapels going against the church's teaching. They are absolutely encouraged. Um, If you go to EWTN.com and look up adoration chapel, it's going to give you all the ways that you can put an adoration chapel together, uh, all the blessing and graces it brings, how to have adoration, all of that. It's very, very wonderful. So I don't know what your pastor is referring to. But um, if if a pastor said that to me, I'd say, Dear Father, um, that's very surprising for me to hear. Can you tell me where the church says that, where it teaches that? And um, if he says, I, I don't know offhand, ask him to get it for you. He needs to be responsible about what he's saying. Um, and if he's irresponsible, then he's in sin to to say what the church teaching is when it's not. So ask him respectfully. Uh, say, Father, I, I'd like to read that. Um, can you can you let me know where it is? And if he says I don't have the time to bother, then you can you can I would I would go to the bishop and I'd say, dear bishop, um, uh, our priest at this parish, uh, and tell the tell the pastor. Say, you know, dear father. Uh, it, it it doesn't seem right for you to be treating us like this or giving me these kinds of answers. I want to respect you, but if if you won't respect us, or, or it seems to me the church is teaching to teach us properly, um, I will I will ask the bishop. See, we want to go to the bishop, but first go to our pastor, and then say I'll call the diocese and and uh, speak to the chancery or the bishop. And they may be able to direct me to the teaching that says that it's against church teaching to have an adoration chapel. All right. Now, either he's going to I don't know what his response to that will be, but that's a right response on your part. Just be um, be be. How do I say be humble and just say, dear father, I don't want to. Um, intentionally cause you problem, but this seems to me that you're going against church teaching, and I'm asking you to show me where it is so I can understand that, because everywhere we look, uh, uh, adoration is being encouraged. Okay. We have an email from Teresa who says, Dear Mother, 
I send you much love from London on the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which has been moved to Sunday. Oh, terrible. Oh, that's just terrible. When feasts are moved to Sunday, it's just a destruction of our faith. The faith is being destroyed. Uh, All our holy days are being taken away. It's not a holy day of obligation, but it's June 29th. It's terrible. Now, you say London. I don't know if that's London, Canada, or London in the United States, or London, England. My first thought was London, England. I don't know. But um, And she says, are you aware of the writings of Father Malachi Martin, an Irish Jesuit? Yes. He wrote on the decline of the Catholic Church in exorcism. He was also an exorcist. Yes, I know. She says, I am praying to Our Lady, throne of wisdom, that she will continue to give you the grace and wisdom to continue your vital work. I find every talk inspiring, encouraging, and educational. Um, Following your most recent talk, I am increasing my devotion to the Sacred Heart. Ave Maria. Oh, that's very beautiful, Teresa. What a sweet encouragement. Um, the, The more we love our faith, the more we encourage one another to love and good works, the stronger we are, the greater witnesses we are, the more we help other people, other sheep um, stay strong in the fold and not wander. wander. And, and you can't, and no one can do better than increase your devotion to the Sacred Heart. Absolutely wonderful. In fact, so wonderful that in our next l- newsletter, which we've already begun to write, in our next newsletter from the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, we're going to print the 12 promises that Jesus gave Margaret Mary for those who are devoted to the Sacred Heart. They're extremely wonderful, with tremendous grace given to the soul that has devotion to the Sacred Heart. So we're going to do that in our newsletter. It's not finished yet. It's not at the printer yet. We're just putting it together. And if you're not on our mailing list, by the way, and you wish to be, go to www.motherofisraelshope.org. That's our website. You can go to the newsletter link, and you can click on that, and right there up on top, you can sign up for our newsletter. And um, email or snail mail or both, it won't matter to us. We often include CDs or DVDs or holy cards or uh, booklets or something with our newsletter. So don't worry about saving us postage by email. We really would love to send those things to you. So you can, you can again, sign up email or snail mail or both, whatever serves you best. We're going to go to an email from Dolores, who writes, Hello, Mother Miriam. I have to share with you that when I found your show on YouTube through LifeSite News, because I don't have Facebook, I put your show on while giving my one-year-old daughter a snack, and she cheered the moment she heard your voice. She stared at the video with amazement, and she was so thrilled. I believe she was so happy to connect your voice to your face. She has been hearing you since she was in my womb. Our family loves you very much, Mother. Thank you for what you do. Oh, Dolores, that's the most beautiful email I've received in my whole life. Now, Dolores goes on, and she has a question here, but that is the most beautiful thing I've received that I've ever heard that your little baby has been listening and knows my voice from the time she was in your womb 
and now when you're feeding her and came on, she recognized it and, and put my face. How beautiful is that? I tell you, you've, you haven't made my day. You've made my month. That is just so beautiful. Parents, if you don't think that you teach your children for nine months while they are in your womb, you just have a witness otherwise. Um, there's the music, beloved, for our second break. And I say again, because we pre-recorded this specially for you last night, July 3rd, to play for you today, July 4th, um, uh, you won't be able to call in or text, but you can email with anything you wish uh, at mother at thestationofthecross.com. And that wonderful team at the Station of the Cross will take your email um, uh, tomorrow, July 5th as soon as they return and we'll answer it. Okay, God bless you and don't go away. It's going to be a very short break and I'll come right back to you. Well, as a teenager, I didn't really see how relevant uh, religion was in my life. In my early 20s, I I began to look at other faiths. Well, I, I understand as, as a Catholic that the things that I, were, I was given uh, at a very early age, those things never ended. They're still with me. That's what drew me back. Because the Catholic Church is, a, is worldwide, there are so many different types of people that come to the church, and, and it's a place where I feel accepted for who I am. I'm where God wants me to be. And, and I feel like my life is, can be used for what he wants now. And when I came back, I said, Lord, you were waiting for me the whole time with your arms open wide. And I have come home. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Fundamentalists claim baptism by immersion is the only true baptism because the Greek word baptizo found in the New Testament means to immerse. But is this true? The answer is no, and here are some reasons why. First, although baptizo is used for immersion, it can also be used for wash up, as it's used in Luke 11.38 in reference to the Jewish ritual washings. Second, we agree with our fundamentalist friends that full immersion best expresses the meaning of the sacrament. The Catechism of the Catholic Church makes this clear in paragraph 1239. But that doesn't mean non-emergent baptisms are invalid. In fact, the Didache, a first century Christian catechism dating to around AD 70, gives instruction on how to baptize, stating pour over the head three times. So if you weren't dunked, no need to fret. Immersion baptism is not necessary for a valid baptism. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Welcome back, beloved. This is Mother Miriam Live. I am so thrilled to be with you. And we have been um, taking a an email from um, Dolores. She is the one whose um, uh, baby knew my voice while that baby was in her womb and recognized it now that she's one, years old, one year old and they were watching uh, Mother Miriam Live live stream now. And the baby connected the face with the voice. Oh, Dolores, it's so beautiful. Okay, let me go on now with Dolores' email. She says, 
I am hoping you can guide me with a problem we are facing with our parish. The parish my husband and I went to is listed on the New Ways Ministry page as an LGBT-friendly parish. Now, Dolores said the parish my husband and I went to, I don't know if she's still going there, she says, my husband read a document from the Vatican warning about this ministry and stated it was not accepted by the Vatican. That's correct. Father James Martin is part of this ministry. My husband talked to the deacon from the parish, and he basically shunned us and made us feel unwelcome. Well, that's a very poor deacon, and I would I would say he is probably not Catholic. He's certainly fallen away. I then called the archdiocese where I spoke to a deacon from our regional office. He was somewhat rude and said to me, what's the problem if they want to be an LGBT friendly parish? Well, then he's also not Catholic. This is, this is, I don't know what parish you're in, what diocese you're in, but you've spoken to two deacons now who have fallen away from the faith, whether they believe that or not. She goes on to say, I explained what the Vatican document said, and he said he was not familiar with the ministry, but did not see the problem. Well, he's blind and and willfully blind now. If the Vatican says that New Way's ministry is not valid, and it is not, and he says he still doesn't see what the problem is, the problem is he has a problem. He says, um, they also held a pride mass they announced it on their webpage. When I shared this with the deacon, he said that they also have the right to have a mass. When I explained to the deacon that my concern is that they are not teaching what our church teaches and we have little children that we want to lead the right way, he said he did not see a problem and that he could not have a conversation about it with me since he was not familiar with the ministry. Well, he doesn't have to be familiar with New Way's ministry to know that a, a pride or a gay mass is illegitimate. You, you, those things are illegitimate. They're totally sinful. So she continues to write, I have no problem with LGBT people going to mass. My problem with this is that they are saying Jesus accepts their sin and to be proud, but pride is a sin. I am a sinner myself. And I know Jesus loves me, but he does not love my sin. I was in no way saying that they cannot be part of our church uh, or to be unfriendly. I truly hope they go to church. I was basically called a homophobe and listened as hate group, listed as hate group, and I really am not. Well, before I go on to read what else you've written, Dolores, uh, you're too lenient yourself. I'm going to tell you, your parish is wrong. Never go back to that parish. You find another parish because they don't care about the true faith. And whoever that pastor is, he has no right to be a pastor or a priest. Um, we do not welcome LGBT groups into our parishes. That is not true. Let me ask you this. If there were a murderer on the loose and he wanted to come to church. Would you welcome, and he was part of a gang of murderers who go about murdering people, and they're a gang, and they they call themselves Catholic, and they want to come to church. Would you welcome them? Would the parish welcome them? We welcome murderers here. We all are welcome. We welcome murderers. Yes, come in, whoever you are. 
Would you do that? I don't think so. I don't think so. And would you let them receive communion? I don't think so. I want to tell you there's no difference with LGBT because the scriptures say, I'm not saying LGBT people are murderers they or that murderers are LGBT people. But both are in, included in one line. Neither murderers, nor homosexuals, nor slanderers, nor idolaters will enter the kingdom of God, all in one sentence in Scripture. All forbidden from the kingdom. And no one who continues in that lifestyle should be at a parish. Nobody. If somebody wants to come to the Catholic Church and they're homosexual, the only they don't come as a homosexual couple and they don't practice their homosexuality in public. They don't put their arms around one another and all of that. If any homosexual individual practicing homosexual, now there are people that have that orientation, but they don't live the lifestyle and they, they suffer, but they're heroic. They live a chaste Catholic lifestyle. Absolutely, they should be there. But people who are living in that sin should not be there. They certainly should not be given communion. They should not be there, and the pastor himself should put them out. The only way they should come is if they are sincerely interested in converting, in being free from their sin, in repenting, repent, and being forgiven, and becoming a true Catholic, and letting God heal them and change them. Outside of that, they should not be at a parish. Um, so don't hope they go to church. It is not to welcome them regularly. You could have a homosexual church, couple that goes to church for 10 years and they're not converted, and they have no right being in the church. They are bringing their sin into the church. If two people are living in marital intimacy and they're not marriage, married, they have no right coming to Mass to be there. Mass is for Christians, for Catholics in a state of grace, or for Catholics who are not in a state of grace, but they're repentant. And they come, they're true Catholics, and they come to Mass, but they do not receive the Eucharist. Um, uh, we're so concerned about welcoming everybody today, we're afraid of offending anyone. The fact is, they offend us. They offend God. Is God against homosexuals? No, he loves them. He died for them. But he's against the sin. And we cannot have that in our midst. Church is not the place for them. Unless, again, they want to meet with the pastor and learn about the faith, learn how to depart from their evil ways the way the scripture says. Dolores goes on to say, my family is very disappointed by the way we were answered. Well, you should be more than disappointed, Dolores. You should be absolutely sick about it because the deacons, your parish, everyone who has answered you is sinful. They don't care about God's honor or the truth of the church or other souls. And you say, who do we go to? What can we do? We live in California and belong to the Los Angeles Diocese. Well, you can certainly go to the bishop, but the fact is that Bishop in California, Los Angeles Diocese, allows gay masses. He allows Father James Martin to speak. He allows homosexual, gay, pro, gay everything all over the place. Who do you speak to? 
You simply find a good holy church is what you do. You can still write the bishop because maybe if enough people he'll write them, he'll understand that his sheep care about truth and orthodoxy. But you need to find a good holy parish, and there are good holy parishes in Los Angeles. Even if you have to drive to San Diego, there are good holy parishes, and I'd find one no matter how far you have to drive. Don't continue to subject yourself to that sinfulness uh, on display. Don't do that. And you certainly don't want your children coming in contact with it. We have John from Kentucky who called in yesterday and left a message offline. And he says, could you please talk about the error, E-R-A, the error, not the error, the error of peace that's supposed to be coming? Not really, John. I know it is. I know it is. Um, our ladies, after what's going on now and, and um, um, sinfulness and uh, every form of debauchery uh, is going to grow a lot worse. Um, and at one point, Our Lady said her Immaculate Heart will triumph and then we'll have an era of peace. Uh, I don't know if it's a thousand years. I don't know how long. Uh, I've read different books on different things. There's a book I'll recommend to you. It's called The End of the World. And I don't have it in my hands. I don't recall the author at the moment, but it's called The End of the World. I think it's published by Sophia Press. And the uh, there's a quote right on the front cover from St. Therese of Lisieux, who said that reading that book changed her life. Uh, it was just one of the best books she's ever read. It's called The End of the World and published by Sophia Press. Um, the end of the present world, I think. The end of the present world. Um, so you'll be able to get a lot of that information from there. John yesterday called on the line also, called and left a message offline. Who in the church has the authority to say that the Pope is in error or heretical? Let me just tell you, any one of us, we know, the sheep know. If the Pope says, for example, that divorced and remarried, so-called irregular unions, which there's no such thing, it's a sinful union, if the Pope says that those people can receive communion, we know that he's in error. We know that he is in error because 2,000 years of the church has taught that. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, says that anyone who eats and drinks unworthily brings condemnation upon himself. No one in, in an adulterous lifestyle outside of a valid and true marriage um, um, uh, can receive the Eucharist. And so uh, who can who has the church, who has the authority to say that the Pope is in error? Any one, you, I, uh, who know the faith. And the faith we get from the scriptures, the encyclicals, online, there's many good people today to who lead us in the faith, just as the four prelates I mentioned going through the paper of corrections. You can go to very faithful life site uh, news, uh, very faithful apostolates to find out um, what is true. Now, what is heretical? That's, I, I think, a little, I don't know when when a teaching may be heretical, if it's false, but for the Pope to be clear, declared a heretic, 
I think that needs to be, I, I don't know this, but I think that needs to be done on the part of the shepherds or the cardinals of the church, the bishops of the church. And um, the fact is, if the Pope speaks in error, but he it's not binding on the faithful to believe, if he ever said that adulterers can receive communion and everyone is bound to believe that, that would be an absolute heresy and he could be declared heretical. But that has not been the case. Whatever has been taught by the Pope that has caused confusion, whatever has been taught that is in error, um, sometimes he'll say one thing one day and he'll go back on it two days later. It's been very confusing. Whether that's intentional or not, I can't say that because I don't know. But um, um, we know what is authoritative by the teaching of the church that does not change. We have the Council of Trent. Nothing has changed. We have the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We have the Scriptures and the interpretation of the church for them. And that does not change. So if the Pope says something against those things, then you know it's not correct. Whether it was an error, whether it was intentional, you know it's not correct, and we have the authority to know that. Um, But um, again, uh, if it's not binding on the faithful, if he hasn't declared a new doctrine that opposes a doctrine that has been true, and he doesn't clear, declare it binding on the faithful, um, it's, it's certainly not only not binding, but we must not obey it. We must not obey what is wrong. We must not. And you say, well, the Pope said it. The Pope can be fallible. He is a sinner like we are. He's not an infallible man. God gives him the gift of being infallible only when our salvation depends on it. That is when we need to know that something is right and nothing the Pope said since he's come in office, not one thing he said has utterly changed the faith of the church, even though the statements have been confusing, but nothing has been binding on us. So you be free and you stay with the church fathers You stay with what the church has taught and just look up in the catechism. All right, beloved. There's the music for today. Uh, Blessed July 4th to you all. I pray you have a wonderful time with your family. Be safe. Uh, Lots of hot dogs. And we'll uh, speak with you in the morning live. God bless you, dear ones. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Station of the Cross. The Station of the Cross is a listener-funded nonprofit organization. If this podcast has helped you in your spiritual journey, please consider making a donation. Donations can be made through our website, thestationofthecross.com, or by calling 1-877-888-6279. You can also donate right through our free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for listening to and supporting the Station of the Cross, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity.